morning, everybody. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy to take you through God's word this morning. I want to start, though, just by kind of putting out there your approach to listening to God's word or spending time in God's word. I think a lot of times we think it's, it's more like bingo, where we're kind of waiting for the Lord to call just the right match, and then maybe it'll hit and be six. Bingo! Finally, I get something today. And not realizing how the Lord works in his word. I actually believe that the reading of God's word and the preaching and teaching of it and us gathering around it together is what the Holy Spirit uses to change your life for eternity. And so that raises the stakes and ups the ante a little bit for how the Lord works. And we've been in Luke's gospel for the first time here. I, I know people are gradually starting to decide whether or not they come in person or stay at home. And we just want to tell you, it's okay, whatever you decide to do and want to say hello to everybody online. Uh, we're thankful for our gathered and scattered church. Uh, it's a good thing. But uh, we're in Luke's gospel and if you've heard me say it once, you're going to hear me say it again, that Luke is trying to write to a friend of his named Theophilus, and he wants him to be sure about the things about Jesus. He wants him to know that he knows that it's true. But I asked a couple of questions this week of what else are these words supposed to do in our hearts? And before we jump in, uh, I just want to ask these questions. What does it tell us about how God feels? That's one of the things I want you to look for this morning in the story that we read. How does God feel? How does Jesus feel about the person that he interacts with? And that should lead you to ask the question for yourself. How does God feel about me? What does he think? What does he really think when he looks at me? Is he looking for things to be all sorted and that I've got everything figured out? What does he feel about me? And one other place, and this is one that probably struck me the most and has been over the last few months, is to think about this moment in history, the year 2020, that the Lord has decided that you would live now. And you may be saying, go, I'd take anything else than what's going on. But he has decided now is the moment that you would be on the earth that you would hear about the gospel, that you would have the opportunity to tell other people about that. And so as we read this story, we have to keep in our hearts and minds a, an event that is going to happen. The finale of history, which will move us into a new age, a new dawn. And what's that finale? It is the return of the King of Kings. Jesus is, amen, he is coming back. And we are to look at life. We are to look at the word of God today with that in view. We're to live like it's on our doorstep. The quote I shared last week, we should live like Jesus died yesterday. He rose this morning and he's coming back tomorrow. That should be the three days that we live within. And if the world is to be defined by Jesus Christ, and I'll tell you that it is, no matter what you have heard, it is, may we have attentive hearts. May we be tuned in this morning to listen and to hear his voice. And I know there's a thousand other things to think about. I know as soon as you leave this room, you will pull out a computer that you carry and you will look and check whatever it is that brings you some level of knowledge of what's going on, of what your friends are doing, of the news, of what's happening in the polls, all those things. I know they're swirling. They're, they're there. They're waiting for us, aren't they? They're there. May we be attentive to the voice of God this morning, to hear his heart for us, because I can tell you that it speaks directly to all of those things. 
That's the heart. That's the goal of the scripture this morning. May we stop. May we listen. May we see. May we believe that he's all we need. So with that, pray with me. Lord, the truth of that song, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, you are working. You have been working before the dawn of time, before the foundation of the world. God, you had us in mind. You had the days planned out for us that we would be alive in the year 2020 with all that is going on. And God, we want to say, Lord, that our desire is to hear you this morning, to let your word do its work on our hearts. So God, as best we can, I encourage you guys to do this right now, where we open our hearts, just in your heart say that, Lord, I open my heart to you this morning. I lay down my anxious thoughts. No, really, I lay them right at your feet, Lord. When I tell you this is what's on my heart and mind this morning, this is what I can't get out of my head. This is what I'm worried about. This is who I'm worried about. We lay them at your feet, Lord. These are our morning prayers to you. And we ask, meet us in this place. Then the unknown in this moment in history, let us know what you think about us today. Let us know how you feel about us, your plans for us, for our lives. And we thank you, Jesus, and uh, we... We trust you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If you have a copy of God's word, uh, turn to Luke chapter five. I encourage you to have a copy of God's word. And yes, I know you can have it on your phone, but I want to encourage you to get a book too that you can hold. It does much better with a pen and underlining uh, than a phone will. And I have told you guys this before, but I sit every morning in a chair, uh, my chair time with Jesus. And I do have a devotional that's on my phone that guides me, but I use that just to tell me where to turn. And then I like to open up, not always, but most of the time I like to open up my copy of God's Word. It's just something that actually calms me a little bit more. When I've got the phone, I know what else is on there. And sometimes, like I've totally done this, like reading God's Word, blah, 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 Amazon, search for blah, 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 blah. Have you ever done that? Oh my goodness. I'm like, sorry, Lord, back to it, you know? But so it's easier sometimes just to jump right in and say, okay, I want to hear from you. I want you to speak to me. And what a treasure to have this book in your hands. I don't know if you know that. There are places in the world where it's illegal to have this and where they have to smuggle it in and where people pray to have a copy of this. So have it, open it. Luke chapter five, verse 12. You may have heard this story, but the cool thing about God's word is it doesn't work that way. Where you go, check I'm done with that one. It's living. It's alive. And it's going to go after you, hopefully, this morning. So let's read Luke 5, just one verse. We're going to jump in and meet this guy. We don't know his name. We just know that he wasn't having a good life. Here it is. While he, this is Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Another translation says covered. So it's bad. When he saw Jesus... He fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The guy who wrote this gospel, Luke, is a doctor. 
He's a physician. And so he gives us details sometimes where there aren't details. And so he says, full of leprosy. Back then you could actually, there were several skin diseases that could be leprosy. So psoriasis, just a skin rash kind of a thing, a condition could actually be called leprosy. You'd be like, wow, that's rough. This is not that. We know that because he says he's full of leprosy and the guy had to walk around saying he was unclean. Um, This was a disease that would begin slowly with spots, maybe minor skin lesions, turn your hair white, leave the skin pale and sickly, eventually going deeper, eating away at your tissue and then nerves to where you would break a finger and you don't know it. And you continue to use it and infection builds up and then eventually it falls off. And if you, I was not going to, and I'm not going to, I didn't, but I did Google because it's always so difficult to look at, but there are people in the world still with leprosy and it's awful. It's awful. In Leviticus, there were rules if you had this disease. Here's what it said. Leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip, a mask, for real, a mask, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. And furthermore, he shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. In other words, away from everybody else. And I could not believe it this week when I looked it up because I was a little suspicious when I heard the mask and then I was reading the commentary and they were saying, yeah, and they had to quarantine. I was like, oh. and then guess how far away they had to be by law. Six feet. Oh my goodness. You got to wear a mask and you got to be six feet away. This is the original quarantine. These guys had to do it though their whole life their whole life, they would say to us, you think 2020 is bad? My whole life I've been doing this. I don't get to ever be with people. So there's an outward effect of the disease physically on your body, but there's also an inside in your heart and in your head effect where people don't want to talk to you anymore. People don't want to be around you. You're actually not allowed to be around people Even in a leper colony, they live kind of separate from each other in caves, dark, hollow. People come, they drop food down. Nobody wants to be near them physically, emotionally, spiritually. You're isolated. And then there was a moral stigma that came with it too, because they said, "Uh, what did you do? You got this disease. What did you do? Each step every day was a reminder that you were a dead man walking. You're on your way to your death. There is no other outcome. The outcome will be you will die alone. And we're lucky this week too, and I told you last week, we got permission from the chosen producers to use the clips. And so we're going to watch this scene and the first part of it here. I want you to pay attention to the disciples and how they respond to the leper. Here we go. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? (laughs) Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 you cannot this disease. You. Can't. 
please. Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. First few things we notice. The disciples, what do they do when they see the guy? It's not, oh, hey, it's a leper. We should stay back. What is it? Knives out. Get back! Don't get any closer to us. And then I love Jesus just starts to take off his little leather backpack. Apparently he had one. Um, <laughs> it's a nice wardrobe choices there. So he takes off this really cool looking leather backpack, starts to walk forward, and they all speak in unison to say, and he just turns and goes and walks up. And what did the leper say to him? Just so beautiful. Please don't turn away from me. Because that's what I always get. And Jesus says, I won't. I won't. Just, just the visual there of watching Jesus. Because for his whole life, he's had every day is alone. Every day is isolated. Nobody wants to be around him. He knows every minute is closer to his death. Who knows what was happening to him, but I'm sure he probably had lost some fingers and limbs. And, you know, just imagine that. But today's different. Something he heard from somebody. There's this rabbi. And maybe, just maybe, he can do something. But it's not just word of mouth or hearing about Jesus doing something that causes him to respond. And this goes back to that, this moment today, 2020, God moving. And you guys have heard me say this, and I'll continue to say this, that there's always something happening where God is saying, you should follow me, you should choose, you should call out to me. And he is also moving in your heart. And so not only has he heard that God or that Jesus, this rabbi guy, can do things that come from heaven and from God, but he's also taking steps to find him. And at the same time, Jesus just happens to be findable. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. He is able to be found. He is, lo and behold, close by. Just happens to be near where the leper can find him. Why is that? Because at the same moment that he is considering, I wonder if this rabbi can do something for me. The rabbi, Jesus, is, being in, a, is in a place where he can be found. That is not coincidence. That is God at work in his life. This moment will happen. This isn't by chance. And I just want to ask you, maybe you're in a similar position where you're starting to consider, I wonder if Jesus can do this, or maybe you've grown calloused, maybe you're a little cold, maybe it's been a while since you've felt affection for the Lord, and you're asking the same question. I wonder if I lean in again, if he will respond. And what I want to tell you is he will be there so fast it will scare you. So fast and ready because the moment you decide I'm going to seek him, he's like, yes, 
right there and ready. It is timing. It is a moment. Yes, he hears that God can do great things, but there's a timing of the Holy Spirit. Now you may say, this story is about a leper. That doesn't apply to me. I can't relate. I don't have leprosy. And you'd miss why I think the Lord and one of the reasons that Luke puts the story in here. Because, so the religious leaders would say, as I mentioned, this guy must have done something. He's, he's obviously a sinner because you wouldn't get this disease unless you were a really bad sinner. So that's incorrect. That's not how things worked. But it's not a bad idea to think about leprosy as a visual illustration of what sin can do to us, how it can work in our lives. Luke knows this, and he forces us to ask a deeper question. How does Jesus respond to the deepest, most foul, and gravest of illnesses, both physical and spiritual? How does God respond to the leprosy of my heart? What will he do? Look at verse 13. Jesus, in response to, don't turn away from me, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, which everybody there would have flipped out just as much as they did in that opening scene. What are you, don't touch him. You can't do that. And said, I will, I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. He charged him though to tell nobody. Don't tell anybody what I did for you. I thought we're supposed to go tell it on the mountain about what Jesus has done for me. But he says, don't tell anybody, nobody. Instead, go to one person, the priest. Tell him, make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded. Why? For a proof to them, for a proof to them. How long had it been since someone had touched him? This morning, you may have had somebody walk up to you and now that it's COVID, everybody goes, hey, I mean, can I, can I touch your shoulder or are you okay with not, you know, contracting COVID on my elbow? Like we do that, right? We have this like, and and you know, like some people are like, yeah, whatever, man. And the big old hugs or whatever. Some people are shakers. Some people are like, no, thank you. But so this guy, nothing. He hasn't had anybody touch him. Probably most look at him so quickly and turn away. It's been years Years that they greeted each other with a kiss back then, like cheek to cheek. How long has it been since he's felt someone else's, you know, even remotely close? How about a hug? A real hug with compassion, somebody that cares for you. What had happened is his friends, his group of people, they started to see the spots. They saw what was happening and they gradually mm, disappeared. And who's left? Family. But most of them started leaving and then it's only his mom. And then even she, as Ken Geyer said in one of my favorite devotionals, Moments with the Savior, said that the mom even got to a place where her visits were less frequent. And even when she would come, she would stand further away and she wouldn't look him in the eye. That's his world. And religious law made it illegal for anybody to touch him. His life was bent over, bruised, barely anything left, a lamp drawing its last few moments of oxygen to keep the wick faintly growing with life, glowing with life. And how does Jesus respond though? 
He touches them. <laughs> he touches them. This is astonishing because it wasn't okay to do this. It was illegal to do this. And it was so built in and ingrained into society that people would have flipped out to see this happen. Almost like if you're walking out on 61 and you see a toddler start walking into the middle, what do you do? You will, you will do anything that you can, yelling, running, screaming to stop a little baby from walking into the middle of the street, right? That's how people felt about people touching lepers. What is Jesus really doing though? All you have to do is, is look back in the scriptures to what had been said about him, what he would do. Isaiah, the prophet, spoke of the servant of the Lord, whom we know as Jesus, how he would bring justice on the earth when he said this in Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break. And the rest of that verse says, and a smoldering or a faintly burning wick he will not put out until he has brought forth justice on the earth. When you are at the last possible moment, you think there's nothing left. When everybody else is done with you, this is how Jesus responds. Are you willing? I am. I will be clean. The time we're in, you have to consider 2020 when you read this story. Look at the timing of Jesus. Look at the moment, this collision with this man. It's been years, and yet what's happening now is immediate, as if there's been a plan in place. The leprosy leaves him. The leprosy leaves him. What a great statement. So that what is left is a healed whole person. The sickness must be removed, chased away, taken from him. Remember what we said, let's use this as a visual for what sin does to a person. Where others have given up on him, when life has no more answers, there's no medical help, there's no relationships to fall back on, he can't help himself, there are no answers. When there is no solution, what do you have? Jesus. That's what's left. And he's not even doing it begrudgingly, like, okay, fine, I mean, it's gross, but let me see what I can do, I'll touch you. No, he does it with joy, with compassion, with eagerness, with perfect timing. I am willing. Be clean. Let's watch. I am willing. <laughs> Seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. Uh, but what do I tell people? 
go show yourself to the priest. Let him inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. Oh. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> Green is definitely your color. Not too shabby. If you haven't watched The Chosen, I definitely encourage you. You can go to YouTube. Just look up The Chosen. They have all first, uh, the first eight episodes are on there. You do a little digging, but you can find them. They're filming the other season now and encouraged. It's a wonderful gospel ministry if you want to give. I know I did. Um, one, because I wanted to watch, but it's, uh, it's fabulous. Um, I love how the disciples responded when Jesus says, who has an extra tunic? <laughs> like, I mean, they move from knives get away to we can't move fast enough to help Jesus with his mission. I wonder if there's something there for us in our current season where we see people as enemies and where Jesus in an instant changes everybody in their hearts to see this is what it's about. Somebody who was an outcast, somebody who nobody wanted to be around, all of a sudden, everybody wants to help. How will he respond to me? That's the question we want to ask. How will he respond to me? He wants to heal. And again, thinking about leprosy as a visual for spiritual sickness. He wants to restore. He wants to show his love, compassion, and redeeming power. You know, the progression of leprosy in a human body is a perfect example of what happens to us as the result of the incurable disease called sinfulness. It will numb us. It will desensitize us. It will make us callous. It will make us think it's not that bad. I can handle this on my own. When what it's doing is it's killing us day after day until we eventually lose everything. You don't get out of it. It will take your life. As the Bible says, we're dead in our sins, dead. So is the Lord prompting you to recognize this in your own life, to give up your own fix, your own solutions. Maybe today is that day that you wake up like the leper and say, you know what? I'm done with this. Maybe there's hope. He's grateful. He's excited. He's overwhelmed. And then Jesus tells him, shh, don't tell anybody. What? Just go show the priest. So what's the connection? For a proof to them. Now, the priests were the ones who were supposed to be teaching this to everybody. We know there will be disciples who will come out of the priesthood uh, from the Pharisees. Nicodemus is one. Chosen does a phenomenal job of telling Nicodemus' story. He will come from doubting and wondering, is this, can this be? There's no way this can be. How can this happen to following Jesus? And so there's partly that that's what's happening. There's also as just as a testimony to say the Messiah is in your midst. 
Here's what he's doing. But I also want to show you in the last two verses why I think Jesus ultimately said, don't tell anybody. Here's why. Verse 15. Even though he said it, don't say, says now even more. The report about him went abroad. In other words, it happened anyway. People were talking, great crowds. Whenever you see that word in the New Testament, crowd, don't think, sweet, our church is big. Think, uh-oh, uh-oh, the crowds. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Seems like a good thing. Jesus, what are you going to do about that? But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So yes, a proof to the priests, a proof to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, but also don't tell this group. Don't spread it in this way. The kingdom of God for sure will eventually mean no physical sickness, no death justice, righteousness, the kind of stuff that we work for, we hope for, we want to see change in our world. And so Jesus' power over sickness is an important aspect, but that's not his primary reason for coming. It's a natural outcome, result of the gospel at work, of the kingdom of God at work. But you know what his primary goal is? To heal and remove a spiritual sickness in my heart and in your heart. We're going to see this played out with people as they interact with him because there are people in these crowds who hear the teachings of Jesus, even experience physical healing. That's pretty good. But then they decide, I'm not going to follow him though. I'm not going to follow him. I'll do the church thing. I'll say, I experienced the Lord in that service. What a great thing. But they're not following. There's no fruit. There's no change. So Jesus rejects the shallow approval of the crowds and doesn't want that kind of message spread about him. He rejects it. Jesus likes to heal and hide. He'll heal somebody and he'll say, Shh, don't tell. He's gone. He performs the miraculous and then quietly slips away into the hillside to pray or get away. He routinely told people not to tell anybody. What do we learn from this? Was it just that he was going to be ministering for three years? He kind of wanted to keep the crowds under control, ration out the healing over the years? Maybe. Was it that his humanity? We know he was fully God and fully man. He just got tired. We know he reached the end of the day and he would be tired and exhausted. And so maybe he just needed to rest. And so we got to cut it off. I need to slip away and get some rest. Maybe. I think it's a deeper motive though. Being physically healed, great thing. It's not the most important thing. It's not the most important thing. Crowds came to Jesus. We're also gonna see them eat his miraculous fish and bread. They're gonna be healed physically by him, but they're gonna say, yeah, but I don't really wanna follow you. That's a little difficult. We're gonna learn later in the gospel that many of the same crowds who heard him teach were healed by him, ate his bread and fish, also yelled what in the end? Crucify him. Whoa, that's a change. That's not a good outcome. Why is this the case? Because hearing isn't the same as following. 
hearing isn't the same as following. What's Jesus' motivation? Absolute commitment to the plan decided before the foundation of the world, and that plan ends there. Death. It doesn't end with a parade or accepting whatever nomination for this thing, an award here, and yay, you're the healer. You're a, it ends there. He is committed to that for us. The way to the kingdom of God will not be up in popularity, but down in humility. Not forward with political power, but rejecting worldly gain through sacrificial love. Upside down from the way the world does things. How did he stay on course? Ultimately, Philippians 2, he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. But in the meantime, until he gets there, this is going to be one of his primary tools to do it. He will withdraw to pray to desolate places. So let me ask a cliche Christian culture question. WWJD. What would Jesus do? And it isn't a bad question, but when it gets put on bracelets and becomes kitsch or tacky or too boiled down to lose its meaning or used at parties to mean why waste Jack Daniels, which is all of it has happened. Let's really ask the question though. Let's really ask the question, what is Jesus doing? What would he do when presented with the opportunity to gain in notoriety and fame and have his platform increase? When our world says, Jesus, find your group, your platform, your 15 minutes, your place in the world, your voice, your path of influence, Jesus will routinely push it aside and withdraw. He will seek out desolate places, a quiet place where he can pray to the Father. You're going to see this over and over and over again, drawing away from the crowd, even the disciples, praying, listening, seeking, breathing in much needed strength, encouragement from his Father, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. He modeled this activity consistently. And the reaction that people would have shows you that they didn't get it because he'd come back and you know what they'd say? Where you been? We got people to heal. Everybody's been looking for you. You've been wasting time. He would see it as key. Can I encourage you? Find your desolate place. Turn off your phone, turn off Netflix, and turn on one thing, listening to Jesus through his word and prayer. For me, I've said this, it is a lifeline for me. It is every morning, it's in my chair, coffee, toast, Bible, listening, fire. It's, it's just routine. It feels weird when I don't. But it's also late at night when everybody goes to sleep and I can't sleep and I'm anxious and I'm worried about the election. I'm worried about things that are happening. I'm worried about my oldest who's two hours away in college and my other two and asking the Lord to draw their hearts. And I say things like this, Lord, here is what I'm anxious about. Here's what I'm worried about. Would you draw their hearts? Would you do this? Would you fix this? And then I just say things like this. I just really love you. I just really love you. I know that's not very complicated and not super spiritual, but I find that it is a lifeline. 
the lifeline. I love you and I miss you and keep me from secret sins. Keep me from pride. Keep me in your path, Lord. That's my desolate place. And notice neither one of those things is this. This is to be the culmination, kind of the celebration. We all get together and we all say, listen to what we've been doing all week with Jesus. Listen to how he's been at work in our lives, at work and in our families. Here are the things that are difficult this week. We come together for encouragement, but he says, seek him in the desolate place. I also want to take this another notch down. I think there's a desolate place that Christianity sits in, in our culture. What does the world think about Christianity? They don't like it. They don't like it at all. They think it's ridiculous. Now there's also though, those who would say, well, let me give you this version of Christianity. It's cooler. It's a little more tolerant. It's a little more accepting and kind of removes some of that judgy stuff and it's better. You know what I say? It's not Christianity. True followers of Jesus sit automatically in a desolate place. You know what I think Jesus says to us? Be okay with that. Be okay with that. In fact, find me there. True followers of Jesus will be living there. Not to escape the world, but to find true life in him. If Christianity is found acceptable, tolerant for the world, if the message is boiled down to, yep, just be kind, care for the poor, live a pretty good life, then you will miss Jesus because he will not be found there. He will not be found there. I think this is a call to prayer, but I also think it's a call to walk the narrow path of Jesus. The one the world will absolutely reject. Do not buy the lie that says, this guy seems to be selling something that's working for even like people out there that are important. Don't buy it. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I found a verse in my chair time as I was studying this that just sent it home for me. And I'd never read this in this way, but Paul was talking to Timothy and it's in his final letter before he would be killed for the gospel. And he says this to Timothy. He's trying to hand off the baton of leadership and of sharing the gospel. And he says this to him, don't be ashamed of me in prison. I was sitting, I was just sitting there this, that morning. Wait a minute. Paul's specifically not, he does say, don't be ashamed of the gospel. But then he says, don't be ashamed of me sitting here in this desolate place because I followed the Lord wholeheartedly and I spoke 100% of the truth of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of that. Maybe Timothy was tempted to soften the offense of the gospel. Maybe he was tempted to find a, a gentler path. Maybe he said, I, I want to follow Jesus, but not to prison. Not, can we not do the desolate place? I'd rather not. Can we tone it down just a little bit so it doesn't offend? Many are trying to do this. There's an entire movement of progressive religion. And notice I didn't call it Christianity because I don't think it is progressive religion that wants to remove the offense of the gospel, remove the authority of God's word, take the spine out of it, 
But don't be fooled. This is nothing more than the sickness of spiritual leprosy that has not been healed by Jesus. And it will continue to wither away anyone who follows it. It is not truth. It is not life. There's one way, the way of the cross, the way of Christ. The leper got it. He sat there that morning, having reached the end of, he had nothing left and said, I wonder, I'm going to take a risk. And how did Jesus respond? How will he respond to you? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick, just barely hanging on. There's nothing left. He's not going to go, oh, not going to put you out. But then he's going to call you to something costly. To seek him in the desolate place. To follow him, to find him as your last and only hope. The same way the leper found him and as I said about the timing and the moment, as soon as you decide, he'll be like, yes, because he's already there. He's waiting for you. He's calling you. Now, I want to take like five minutes. And uh, next week, our pastor of pastors, Pastor Joe, he's the one that we all go to uh, when we want to work through some stuff or pray or get some counsel. Like we just go and knock on his door and he says the same thing to all of us. Come on in. We pop in and we talk to him. So our pastor of pastors, I'm thrilled, is going to be teaching you next week, which happens to be the Sunday before the election. And so here's my moment where I want to say a few things to you about the upcoming election and how you should approach it as a follower of Jesus. No, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Relax. Now, I realize that may not be what some of you wanted to hear, but I'm committed to pointing you to only one for complete allegiance and devotion. And that is Jesus Christ, King of Kings. Think about that title for a minute. King of Kings, King of Presidents, Senators, Congressmen, Prime Ministers, Caesars, Dictators, any leader you've ever heard of. He is King of Kings. Whether they recognize it or not, He is their King and their leader. So the only thing that I will say is a must. Now this, this may not always be the case, okay? This may not always be the case because if I've learned anything, I'm reading a, a biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer right now. Obviously at his point in history, his faith became very public and in opposition to the Nazi party and had to make choice, ultimately led for him dying in a concentration camp. So at some point, Christianity for them said, no, don't follow this, <laughs> okay? We're not there yet. And so this may not always be the case. There may come a time in history where I have to stand up here with somebody and to say, hey guys, we must reject this. We must stand again, whatever. We're not there yet. But the only thing that I will say is a must for you this morning, and I know that I know it's a must, you must absolutely do it, is give your life to Jesus Christ. You must. You must turn from sin. You must repent. You must confess him as Lord. That's the only must I'll give you. As far as November 3rd, may I encourage you to be in your prayer booth before you go into the voting booth. And let your prayer booth be guided by the truth of God's word and the principles, the things that he cares about. Let those inform your decision. But then I'm going to tell you what we tell you about everything around here, which is you and Jesus decide. That's it. 
Make this decision with Jesus. Now, why do I say this? Because you will stand before him one day to give an account for every decision you made on earth. That's in the Bible. That is true. So make the decision with him. Whatever you decide, make it with him. Finally, no matter the results on November 3rd or whatever day we may know, they, meaning the results, will have been allowed and sovereignly orchestrated by the God of the universe. That's what I know this says. Now we may say, no, 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 it was because of this and whatever, this fraud and this, blah, blah. Meh. That is not what this says. What this says is that he appoints kings, he removes kings. And I know that messes up your theological stew because you start thinking about, wait a minute, you mean Hitler and all? Yes. Allowed, sovereignly working everything for the good of his glory and his fame. And what I know is that whatever is decided, whatever the result is, we won't panic. We won't be afraid because the redemptive needle of history will be moving and its purpose will be so that more and more people will realize they need Jesus Christ. That's what will happen. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord, um, It's weird how these simple stories of a leper waking up one day and hearing that there's hope and connecting that to not only his healing, but your on purpose, absolutely being right there in that spot where he could meet you, he could call on you, that you just happened to be in town and that you just happen to be willing and ready and you just happen to be the servant who's mentioned in Isaiah and in the Old Testament who could indeed pull off physical healing. And God, that you just happen to be the savior of the world, the king of kings and the ruler who had been sent to die in our place. And not only could you heal our physical sickness, but Lord, you could heal our spiritual sickness. You could not just heal it, As Isaiah would say later in Isaiah 53, surely he bore our sicknesses. He took our infirmities on him. Well, that's hard for us to figure out. It's hard for us to figure out our place in this world and what it looks like to walk and live the narrow path to seek you in the desolate place, to live in this countercultural moment and yet still be salt and light to trust and believe and not be afraid when I feel like I do both of those really well (laughs) at the same time. Lord, we need you. We need your hope and your grace. And Lord, I just pray that if um, you're moving and you're stirring and you've caused this to be one of those moments for somebody in this room or somebody online that they would say, yes, yes, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And God, may we have the grace to hear your voice saying, I am willing, be clean. God, may we be standing in Christ alone today, the rest of our lives. May it be our song into eternity. Amen.
Let's stand together and sing.